I'm Charlie Keegan. This is the Central Wigan Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Central Wigan Podcast. This is episode 20 and today I'll be covering two games in the one podcast as I'll be looking back over the 1-1 draw with Bristol City on Wednesday night and looking forward to our Saturday afternoon game against Norwich City. For that match preview, I did speak to Norwich City fan George and we got some brilliant analysis and insight into their season so far. Obviously they've had two managers, they've had Dean Smith and now David Wagner, so that is something well worth listening to ahead of the game because we talk about different players as well that they've got for them, including one that used to play for Wigan Athletic. As always with these match reviews, going back on the Bristol game, I will talk about the team selection, some big talking points from the game, obviously the goals, cover the stats and the standout performers and then we will talk about overall feelings of the game and who the player of the match vote went to. So in the build-up to the trip down to Ashton Gate, Sean Maloney said that we are going to have to scrap for every single point. Yes, there is momentum, but we also have to be aware that every opponent is different. That comes after our 0-0 draw at Ewood Park with Blackburn Rovers and then going back to the DW and beating Huddersfield Town 1-0 to get a crucial three points. Arguably, Bristol were going to be our toughest opponent out of the three. You really don't know what you're going to get with them. And after our 1-1 draw on Wednesday night, that now puts them on 10 wins, 10 draws and 11 losses. So to me, that indicates that they are just a bang average mid-table championship side. And there's nothing really wrong with that. And that's not to discredit them. I think they have some very, very top talents, but they're fundamentally hard to beat. Presented a huge, difficult challenge for us. And Nigel Pearson has that team well drilled. The team selection that Sean Maloney went with, after making two changes at Huddersfield, which saw Charlie Hughes and Ryan Nambi come in for Omar Rakik and Martin Kelly, who were both out injured, on Wednesday night, both retained the place, but a further two changes were made as Talal Asgard and Ashley Fletcher came in for Callum Lang and Will Keane. Ben Amas kept his start in place after securing a fifth clean sheet last time out, and he was behind the defence of Charlie Hughes, Jack Watmore and Ryan Neambe, who made up a sort of a back three. Tendai Dariqua and James McLean took the wings, and in the middle were Max Power and Christ Tiehi. Our forward line was Daniel Sanani, obviously Talal Asgard and Ashley Fletcher. And even though we, we sort of set up as a 3-4-2-1, it was changing to a 4-4-2 at times, just depending on the progression of the play that we were in. On the bench, Latics named Jamie Jones, Stephen Corker, Tom Pierce, Tom Naylor, Callum Lang, Will Keane and Charlie Wyke. I would say that overall I was pretty happy with the lineup that Maloney named. Dropping Keane and Lang is always going to be a big call, but we do seem out of ideas and that does seem our weakest area at the moment, so I understand that. Also likely it was one eye was on the Norwich City game and Sean Maloney it needs to see more from other players to know what's available to him, try and form an opinion on how we can progress through the next 15 fixtures. Because if Talawas God was to come in and say got a couple of goals or a couple of assists, he no doubt would be in the running to try and be a first team starter. For Bristol City, Andreas Weiman took the captain's armband. He was on four goals and four assists coming into this game. But top scorer Naki Wells, who's got nine goals and four assists, he was named on the bench. And Tommy Conway, who has six goals and three assists, he missed out. So they, they were the top three of our Who to Watch players in the match preview coming into this one. If you want a game to see an exciting start, do not go back and watch this one. Because I thought, well, the quality of football, it wasn't very poor. It was just locked in a midfield battle for for the first part of the half and there wasn't much in terms of excitement. Alex Scott is the exciting youngster that Bristol City have got. He's 19 years old and being targeted by Premier League clubs at the moment. He attempted the first shot on goal after nine minutes with a shot from range. He did really well to cut in from the right, evaded a couple of challenges and his shot 
Yes, it sailed over the bar, but it was a good, strong show of intent from him. At the start of the game, it was pretty clear that Ashley Fletcher was told to work the back line as much as he could, and I thought that he did that quite well. He was finding space, dragging defenders wide, and he did receive the ball a couple of times in high up areas, but outside of Ashley Fletcher really being the one to try, Talavasca just wasn't really getting involved as much as I would like him. And despite Daniel Sanani getting into good positions, again, I don't think it was that final pass was really working. Bristol looked to force a counter-attack 15 minutes in. Harry Cornick was on the run. But Tendai Dariq were tracked back brilliantly to try and just eliminate the threat and he ended up playing the ball back to Ben Amos. After seeing the mistake that Dariq were made against Blackburn where he really just made a mess of the ball, four, I think it was four minutes in, allowed Ben Brereton-Diaz a run through on goal and a shot on goal because it was a one-on-one essentially with Ben Amos. I thought Tendai Dariq did very, very well in reading this one and stopping the move. But the first goal did come 37 minutes in. Anis Mameti picked the ball deep down the left-hand side. Dariqwa positioned his body well for if Mameti was going to try and run to the byline, he was ready for it, but it was a quick cut onto his right foot. Quickly dinked the ball in between Power and Dariqwa to try and find Atkinson in the box, who, yes, he was unmarked and the header went in, but if you're going to be critical and look back at it in hindsight, you could say that perhaps Dariqwa could have charged him down better. Power could have charged him and put body more on the line to try and stop the cross. T.A. he looked to be the one that was covering Atkinson, but I think he thought... Jack Watmore was going to deal with it in the end. Watmore thought he so complete lack of communication. But it, it just was a good goal. There's a lot of this, but some maybes, but that just shows that it is all about fine margins and this is a prime example of it. So it is a tough, unforgiving league, everyone knows that. But just before the half, we almost equalised and it was a James McLean attempted cross which deflected to the edge of the area. Christ T.A. hit it first time and it rattled off the bar and it was unbelievable effort and solid technique. I really wanted to sign a contract and if that would have gone in, I would have just offered him at half time, just give it him. <laughs> but we did go in 1-0 down at the half. Possession was 50% to 50%, so it was fairly even. They had two shots, we had three. They had one on target and we didn't, but we did have five corners in that first half, which I think is probably the most that we've ever had in the first half this season. Sean Maloney made three subs at the half time with Daniel Sanani, Dariqua and Asgard all coming off for Lang, Pierce and Keane. I was surprised to see Asgard coming off but to be honest in truth he was pretty isolated. Only had 16 touches in the first half. 100% pass accuracy but he only attempted five. Lost all four of his ground jewels and lost both of his aerial jewels so really really struggling on, on the jewels and obviously left isolated. When we came out we looked much better and the strong momentum that we had sort of built up at the end of the first we really were keen to try and get the substitutes involved right away to build on that momentum. Tom Pierce delivered a brilliant ball into Charlie Hughes in the area, but even though he mistimed it and he didn't really test them enough, it was positive signs again. Nigel Pearson made their first substitution on the hour mark as Harry Cornick was replaced by Naki Wells, who is a top goal scorer. But with 65 minutes on the clock, we won a free kick just inside their half. Ryan Nayambe played it short to Max Power, who took a couple of strides forward, whipped in a ball from midway inside their half, straight into the centre of the area, and he worked his way through everybody, found Ashley Fletcher, and he was goal side of George Tanner, and he forced home the equaliser. Probably an exceptional 10-12 minutes, I thought he looked really bright, so that causes me another problem. So. After our equaliser, they really tried to get back ahead again. Alex Scott bounced his header off the crossbar, and Anis Mehmeti looped an effort from the left of the area, exactly the same place that he got the assist for the first goal, and he hit the far post, so they were definitely knocking on the door, trying to get another. Nigel Pearson opted for a double substitution to try and get that winner, with Andreas Weiman and Alex Scott coming off for Mark Sykes and Sam Bell after 78 minutes, but Sean Maloney also made a change of his own, with Ashley Fletcher coming off for Tom Naylor. I thought Tom Naylor came on, played really, really well, put his body on the line. It, what I really like about him is he gets so close to the person on the ball that it makes it difficult for them to, to make sure that the ball can get to the, the destination where they really want it to, 
And if there is an attack on goal like we saw, he will throw his body on the line to block that ball and get it away. So might not get the credit he deserves all the time, but he's a player that I really like to watch. In the final 10 minutes of the game, we got four yellow cards. Jack Watmore was booked for alleged time-wasting. George Tanner was booked for a late foul where he kind of went in and studs up on James McLean. Both of them were going for a 50-50, but it, it was a bit nasty from George Tanner. I don't think there was any uh, malicious intent, but it didn't look great. And then James McLean, obviously in the book late on, fought a scrap with Mark Sykes. Both were booked for an argument, and really there was nothing more than Mark Sykes was running out of play. McLean gave him a little bit of a shove. Sykes didn't like it and threw the ball back at him, so a bit of a childish argument. So overall, the stats from the game were obviously Bristol City 1, Wigan Athletic 1. Possession, they had 54%, we had 46 They had 5 shots, we had 10 but they had one shot on target, which obviously was the goal, and we only had two shots on target. Total passes, 442 for them, 378 for us. They had 78% pass accuracy, 76 for us. They didn't have an offside, but we did, and they only had three corners, whereas we had 11, which is the most we've had all season. Yellow cards, two for them with Tanner and Sykes in the 90th minute, and there was three for us with Ryan Niambe, Jack Watmore, and James McLean. I said before the game that my prediction was 2-1 to Wigan Athletic, but I also said that we are a dog in a fight and it's a 16-game journey to the end of the season. So if we didn't get the three points on offer there, there's going to be a further 15 games after this one. So that's 45 points on offer and we can just try and pick them up elsewhere. But to come away with the point, having conceded just one goal, which I don't really think was so much of a huge error from us, but more fine bit of attacking play from Bristol and equalising with that positive dangerous pass to get it to Ashley Fletcher for his first Wigan Athletic goal. I can't argue with that result at all. So for player of the match, I narrowed it down to four players. I said that it was Ashley Fletcher for his goal, Max Power for the assist and just generally really good play. Christ Tiehi, who had 55 touches in the 90 minutes and 95% pass accuracy, won five of his seven ground duels, two out of three aerial duels, one key pass and three tackles, only lost possession four times. And then obviously there was Charlie Hughes who made 10 clearances in that game and was just phenomenal yet again. But the overriding winner with 60% of the votes on Twitter was number 22, Christ Tiehi. Whatever we need to do to give him a contract, I've said it so many times before, just give it to him. He's a brilliant, brilliant player. But next up for Wigan, we do go back to the DW and we play Norwich City. So ahead of the game, I did speak to the Norwich fan, George, and we're going to listen to that audio clip right now. Okay, so today on the Central Wigan podcast, ahead of the Norwich City game at the DW on Saturday, I'm joined by a Norwich City fan through and through. We have George on the podcast. So how are you doing, George? I'm very well, Charlie. Um, looking forward to this. Thanks for having me on. No worries. We're just off the back of Bristol City, a 1-1 draw with them down at Ashton Gate, and then straight back to the DW playing Norwich City, which I personally think is going to be Sean Maloney's toughest game yet. I think that Norwich are a very good side. Obviously, very good history because they've just come down from the Premier League. They know what it takes to win. But I just want to pick your brains over the recent win over Hull City because I was reading a, a blog, the 10 Foot Tigers, they're a Hull City blog. And he was saying how you went down after about 14 minutes, but then you were straight back in it. And he was saying that in the second half, you were playing it around like it was a training session and that could not get back in the game. So how was your most recent performance coming into this? Yeah, I think Tuesday night was probably, if you spoke to every Norwich City fan that was there, they would say it's the best they've felt coming away from Carrow Road for a while. That is in part because we hadn't won there since October. So there was kind of a relief in that sense, but kind of looking across the whole season as well, we have won games there earlier on in the season, but not quite as convincingly as we did on Tuesday night. So as you said there, we we went behind to an early goal and that was 
a little bit worrying because we, we've conceded early goals before this season. Burnley in the previous game being an example and never really recovered from it. But we responded, made it 1-1 fairly quickly. And then, as you said there, the, the second half was a really impressive element of it because at half time it was pretty level. Hull were quite well organised, but um, I'd say what was different between our game against Hull to the game against Burnley. Obviously, Burnley have probably got more quality and I think Hull would agree with that. But the other element was Burnley were very high pressing and were really looking to put us under the cosh, whereas Hull really came and sat back and were playing for a point, essentially. Um, That probably helped Norwich, but at the same time, we were moving it about nicely. You, You can start to see the relationships between players, which... David Wagner is starting to build and is developing and training. And that was kind of shining through as well and some really well-taken goals as well. So a 3-1 win, we we couldn't really complain. And it was important to win that game as well because Wagner came in, we had two big away wins, which kind of sent everyone flying and everyone dreaming of promotion again. Then two defeats followed that, which brought you back down to earth. So yeah, we really needed a win and, Thankfully got it. Not always been easy at Carrow Road because if I cast your mind back to August, second day of the season, he hosted us and it was a one-one draw, which I'll be honest, I don't know how we ended up drawing that one. I was looking back on the highlights today and Wilkie just pounced on a, a loose ball interception, found James mm-hmm. McLean in space. And I think Norwich were caught sleeping a little bit for our goal, but it was the only real massive chance that we had. And then obviously Max Aarons gets you back into it. You had 22 attempts on that day which I've looked through and is the most that we've had to face all all season. So I think we were very lucky to get a draw, but we enjoyed the, the trip down to Cairo. That was that was a good one. Yeah, I, I can remember that day relatively well. It was an early kickoff, wasn't it? It was half 12 over here. Yeah, I, I think, like you say there, we did gift you a goal. I think it was Ben Gibson with the, with the loose pass. But having said that, Wigan did pretty well, made the most of it. And that's kind of what I said there about the Hull game. When you do concede an early goal, we know ourselves from when you're in the Premier League, if you concede the first goal, Norwich so rarely come from behind to win. In the Championship, you've got more of a chance of coming from behind to get points. But even so, if you give a team a head start, then you've got an uphill battle. And that that was how it turned out on that day. I, I think, like you said there, creating chances on that day wasn't an issue. If I remember rightly, the... Aaron's goal came quite early in the second half and then we kind of kept on pushing up. I think a lot of our fans were quite aggrieved because there was a challenge on Aaron's in the box, quite a high challenge that was missed by the ref. And I think after the game, Dean Smith said that the FA had spoken to him and apologised that it wasn't given, etc. That was disappointing at the time, but if you give teams a head start, then you kind of set yourself up and we couldn't really complain too much about the result. I think there were a lot of people saying about VAR. If VAR was in, then the Aaron's penalty would have been given, but... I've quite enjoyed this season not having VAR. I don't know how you feel about it, but I hate it. And going to a game is so much better knowing that it isn't interfering. Yeah, I think that we're at the point now with VAR that it is starting to become a debate in the championship. And I've spoken about it a couple of times with maybe not decisions that have fully gone against us, but just decisions where uh, we've we've scored a couple from corners, but it's been ruled out because of an interference with the keeper. And you think, well, the player that interfered with the keeper, usually Callum Lang, had like somebody's arms around his neck. So why isn't that a foul? But then the keeper one is. So there's a couple of times where I've brought it up, but I do, I do agree that 
I am happy with the championship the way it is, having VAR not in it. I do think the standard of refereeing maybe can be boosted a little bit, but then that comes with training and it's not always a referee's fault. So I don't know. I think there's a there's a couple of things that that could be done. But after the 1-1 draw with Norwich at Cairo Road, you seem to go on quite a good run because I think you picked up 24 points from 45 in your opening 15, which included a six-game winning streak within a nine-game unbeaten streak. You played Preston North End, you lost 3-2, and they effectively ended your run there. After that, you only picked up 11 points from a possible 27, where Dean Smith ended up getting sacked just after Christmas. How do you feel, or what happened in the, the build-up to that that you really think was the, the pinnacle for Dean Smith getting sacked? Was there something that was glaringly obvious? Was it the style of play? Was it the atmosphere in the ground? Was a change necessarily needed, given that you've seen Burnley have come down from the Premier League and are about to go straight back up, and Norwich's aspirations are that, or is there something a little bit different? I don't think the seeing Burnley flying as they did um, really had too much of an effect, although I, I can remember when pressure was building on Smith and kind of this was kind of before the World Cup break, which he survived. He he didn't get sacked until after that. But before that point, fans were calling for him to go and fans of other clubs in the league were looking at it and seeing Norwich in second or in third or in fourth, like you just said there, and were thinking, you know, you're too privileged or whatever. You you can't just go up all the all the time. Um, you can't just expect to go up all the time. But that wasn't really what the Norwich fans were getting at. It was in that run of six or seven games that we won on the bounce. We weren't like turning teams over. We weren't really playing particularly well. We were winning by the odd goal. We were getting fortunate with certain decisions. And it was a case of you'd come away after seeing a Norwich win and you'd, you'd feel quite underwhelmed, to be honest. I think that there's an element of the fact that we had Daniel Farker's football in the championship for the previous two seasons, which was really free-flowing, possession-based, and Dean Smith's football wasn't that. So there was always that comparison, but at the same time, there wasn't enough proof that we were improving and that performances were going to improve. So then when that winning run came to an end and the results started to go southwards, okay, we were picking up the odd win away from home, but... Yeah, Dean Smith was then fighting a losing battle. I think the, what felt like the final straw with the fans was Middlesbrough at home, which was the last game before the World Cup. We were 1-0 up at half-time and lost it 2-1. Middlesbrough had only just appointed Michael Carrick. I think he'd had three weeks in the job. They basically looked look like the team we wanted to be. Um, and their fans were singing about Carrick all game. I can remember it. And you, you you felt envious because they had that connection there and Norwich was the complete opposite. And you can see from what Middlesbrough have done since that, you know, the, the top two isn't out of the question for them. A lot of fans after that Middlesbrough game thought, you've got a four-week break now until Swansea away. Sack him now, you know, get it sorted. Let the new guy come in. And, you know, really make an impression. They didn't do that. And then I think Smith lasted maybe three games after the break. We lost at Luton on Boxing Day and then he left the day after. Yeah, it, it was always going to happen. I think it also didn't help Smith that he wasn't starting the season with a clean slate. A lot of people say last season that when he came into Norwich, he was never keeping us up. I, I don't personally think that was right. I, Okay, it was a um, a really difficult task, don't get me wrong, because the squad of players was nowhere near good enough for the Premier League, but we still expected more 
from Smith that we still expected him to come in and get more points essentially and and not go down with a real whimper which we did so he always had that against him but yeah I, I think I, I've been over a, a few factors there I've probably got on for too long but you can you can see why fans expect more than just results maybe may wrongly but you've got to see the proof in the pudding sometimes and I think yeah that that was what failed with Smith yeah, even as being an opposition fan, being a Wigan fan, I was definitely hearing the noise of Norwich fans kind of saying something against Dean Smith, like this guy is not the guy. He maybe was mm-hmm. at one point in his career and one point in his time at Norwich, but he's not the guy right now that, that you really need. But since then, you brought in David Wagner. I think he's played five games so far, three wins, two losses. He started with a 4-0 win and then a 4-2 win. I mean, you lost to Burnley, but you can't really hold that over anybody. Burnley are just incredible this season. And then a 1-0 loss to Bristol City. Nigel Pearson has set them up very, very well. You you never know what you're going to get with Bristol City. They could win one day and then lose the next and then draw the next. They They haven't quite got everything ready for them, but they have got a lot of talent there. So you can't really hold that. Then obviously the the 3-1 win over Hull City most recently. So that's taking you total to 45 points in the season out of a possible 93. You're back in the top 10 now. So your expectations coming into the season, how do they compare to what they are right now under David Wagner and where you think that you could go for this remainder of the season? Uh, how do they compare to the start of the season? I, I think if you'd asked me back in July where I would like to see us now, I think I definitely would have liked to have been closer to the top two than we are because ultimately we're we're never catching Sheffield United or Burnley even if we were to win every game from now until the end of the season I think we'd still come up short so that's been disappointing but at at the same time we can't expect to have done that I, I think we've we've lost 12 games at this point and in in the previous two seasons when we've won the league title we lost six in the first season and seven in the second that's across 46 games so we can write that off playoffs is now kind of what every fan and I think the team and the coaching staff will be looking for but at the same time there is kind of a niggling feeling in the back of your mind that makes you think this squad, are they good enough to go up? I, I'm still not entirely sure. I think based on based on the other teams who are also going for the playoffs, I think it's probably good enough if we build enough momentum to get in there. But if we were to go up, it would require significant investment, just really strong recruit recruitment. Because we've seen with Forrest and Fulham, Fulham have strengthened really well and have flourished and Forrest have, you know, spent crazily. Norwich have got to be prepared to do that next season, I, I think, if we're gonna um if we're gonna go up. But I say all of that. It it feels like I said, it feels like a long way away, the the prospect of going up, even though the playoffs aren't miles off. We're only, what, two points off at the time we're speaking. Yeah, and it's definitely a tough competition to try and get that playoffs this year. You've got Luton doing well, Middlesbrough doing well. There's going to be a couple of teams that are going to try and make a late break for it. So I think it's going to be a really, really exciting end to the season. But throughout this the time this season, you've had some very, very good players for you. I'm going to go through your top five attacking performers that I've found online. I'm just going to get your, your opinions on him. Obviously, number one, Timu Puki. 29 games a season, 10 goals, 7 assists. And I read that you got him on a free transfer from Brondby back in July 2018. So surely he's got to go down as the best free transfer in your club's history, if not the best transfer in, in your club's history. Because it's <laughs> what, 113 championship games, 65 goals, 21 assists. He's only two games off 200 for Norwich City, 88 goals and 29 assists. Like the guy, I remember when he went into the Premier League, 
and he was an FPL dream. I had him in my team, <laughs> cracking up points. He's a, he's a great player, but I know that he's out for Saturday. Uh, David Wagner's confirmed that, but how just how good of a player has he been this season, just for your attacking setup and dynamic? I thought you were going to say um, the best free transfer in football history then, because that, that's, uh, <laughs> that, that, that's something some of our fans like to claim. No, like you said there, he is... Uh, a certain club legend, um, 12 goals off the 100 club. And I'm kind of, I'm a bit, I'm not worried about it, but I'm I'm disappointed that it looks like he's only got um, the 15 games or whatever we've got left to try and get to 100 because he's out of contract in the summer and it it feels pretty likely that he, he won't sign a new one. The 100 goals might not happen, but in terms of his contribution this year, I think some would some might say he's underperformed, but that's underperforming the previous levels that he set. So I think it was 29 championship goals in the first promotion season and 26 in the following one. But he's still he, he chips in with so many assists and some things something that you might not notice if you don't watch him every week is how much of a team player he is. Like he's he's so good at the the tracking back and winning tackles in his own half and those kind of things which might go unnoticed. But yeah, like I said, if you watch him consistently, you kind of get to know that. His his movement as a striker at this level is, um, I, I don't think there are many better. And I, I think, yeah, any team would be at this level would be lucky to have him in it. We feel quite lucky that we've had him for as long as we have. And I hope that this injury that he picked up on Tuesday night in the warm-up at half-time, I believe it was. I hope that it's not a serious one. Hopefully it's just Wigan at the weekend that he misses and then he's back in the mix because, yeah, if we are to get into those last five, six games of the season and leading into the playoffs, he's someone you can really rely on in those games. And, um, yeah, no complaints at all with Puki, even though, like I said, his goal tally hasn't reached the heights of those previous years. Even if uh, he doesn't meet, reach it by the end of the season, offer him a rolling contract, game-by-game basis, and once he gets 100, <laughs> let him go. But another player that you have got, again, I think he plays centre-forward or more of a forward role, is Josh Sargent, 22, American, played 29 games this season. I think he's your top scorer with 11 in the, in the championship, mm-hmm. two assists, yeah. and you got him from Werder Bremen, I believe, for about £8 million or sort of figure around that. Obviously played in the World Cup. He played against England, Wales, Iran. Played 59 games for Norwich in total, 15 goals and five assists. So surely you've got to be looking at him and thinking, all right, if Pookie moves on, if you can keep Josh Sargent for two or three more years and then hopefully offer him another contract, he could be the guy to start this rebuild of trying to get back into the into the Premier League. Yeah, I think so. And it, um, it's been an important season in, in, in terms of improvement for Sargent because he had last season and he played a lot of games and it was always clear he was a really hard worker and similar to Pukin, that he's a team player. But um, you always questioned his finishing last season. I think he ended it with two Premier League goals, both of which were scored in the same game. I don't know if you remember, we were away at Watford. He scored a scorpion kick, which was quite unorthodox. But if you haven't seen it, then I recommend going and looking at it. Um, It was probably our best night last season. There weren't many to choose from. But this season, he's... He's really come on. There was a bit of a bit of debate in terms of when Dean Smith was still in charge of is Sergeant better as a right winger or as a centre forward. But I think it's, it's kind of settled now that up front is his prime position. 
and we've seen he's naturally been presented with more chances this year because Norwich are dominating the ball a bit more and are, you know creating more chances in each game but um we're seeing he's a bit more clinical in front of goal his his goal the other night against Hull was really well taken and I think that confidence is now there he's still quite young I would like to think as his time at the club moves on if we were to go back up that he would feel more comfortable at that level and yeah ultimately score more goals so I think he's got plenty more years on his contract and yeah he, he doesn't seem keen to move at any point he seems settled so yeah I'm excited to see how it progresses for him yeah, he really is a dangerous player I always when I always watch the Norwich highlights I like to go through them there's not like the end of a game week he's a player that I really really like the look of and even in the World Cup I thought that it made a really good show for himself in that in that progressing American side the third player I've got on my list is a player that a lot of Wigan fans will know of. Kieran Dowell played for us, got the hat-trick in the 8-0 win over Hull City. I was absolutely gutted when this guy left us. 25, <laughs> centre-attacking mid. So far for you this season, he's got 21 games under his belt, five goals, three assists. His points per game average, which I looked at, is 1.86, which is the highest in your top five playlist. So he's obviously doing really well. He joined you from Everton in July 2020. And so far, he's got 12 goals, six assists in 73 for Norwich. So he's really an up-and-coming player for you. Obviously, he's uh, played in the England youth setup. I think he was the, the champion with England under 21s when they won the, the Euros of the World Cup. I can't remember which, which yeah, one exactly he was. was. I, th I think well, it was un under 20s, 2017 maybe. That's, that's off the top of my head. But yeah, yeah. He, he definitely was part of those teams, yeah. Yeah, so he's definitely an up-and-coming player for you. I don't think he's really been a consistent regular this season, but he's somebody that you can you can really rely on to to push you on at the end of this season. Yeah, and he's um he's a really relevant topic of conversation at the moment because his form under David Wagner has picked up massively. He's been arguably the best player, but maybe not even arguably because he's he's turned up in pretty much every single game. Scored again the other night. I think, yeah, the, the consistency is kind of what Norwich will be looking for from him now. You can definitely see technically at this level, he's a player that we really need because Emi Buendia was the one providing Timu Puki and our other attacking players with the service previously. He's no longer in the team. So I think Dowell has always been seen as that natural creator to come in in Buendia's place. And like I say, we're, we've seen glimpses of it. We've seen more of it under Wagner and he's clearly a player Wagner likes and I think he'll be playing every game from now until the end of the season. And he's he knows that he's got to carry on producing because like Puki, his contract is up at the end of this season. So Norwich have got to make a decision on him. It feels like at the moment they will be giving him a contract because of the form that he's in, but things can change quickly. And he, he he will know that as well because he had so many loans, Wigan being one of them from Everton. He, he went to Forest, he went to Sheffield United, didn't he? And then Norwich is the first permanent switch that he's made. I, he, he will have suitors in the summer if he was to be released by Norwich, but he's another one like Sargent who seems relatively settled, seems happy playing under Wagner. So I think he'll want to be kept on. And yeah, it's, it's looking good for him at the moment. He's got four goals and one assist in the last five games. So I'm sure if Wagner can keep that record going, he's going to definitely offer him a contract at the end of, end of the summer. The fourth player on my list I've got is Gabriel Sara. And I think you bought him this year from Sao Paulo for about 11 million, I think the reported figure was. 23 mm -hmm. Brazilian centre midfielder, 25 games so far with three goals and three assists. 
it's his first season in the championship, but he just seems, I think he got in the team of the week as well, but he seems to be really starting to come, come good now. Yeah, he um he was he was a slow starter. That's kind of what you have to expect with a with someone coming over from South America who I don't know, I, I imagine that he never even visited this country before. I know that he didn't speak the language when he came in and Norwich had to hire a translator for him and for Marcelino Nunez, who also came in from South America in the same window. But yeah, he he's another one who has really come on in recent months. Nunez on early signs was the player who fans thought was going to be the star this season but Sarah has overtaken him in his development and the other night is another prime example like Dowell he he got on the score sheet but he was pulling the strings nicely something which a lot of journalists and fans picked up on was he did the press after the game and previously when he's done the press the translator has been there in the interview room with him but he wasn't there the other night and he was speaking really good English which six months after he signed is pretty impressive and it's clearly a sign as well that he's really settled in so I I think I've said that about three players now that they're settled at the club so that's probably a good sign I think the the only thing I personally I think with Sarah is with with Wagner we've played kind of a 4-2-3-1 or a bit of a 4-2-2-2 um, depending on where Sargent is next to the main number nine. Sarah plays in the two in front of the back four alongside Kenny McLean. And the one thing I've kind of questioned in, in the back of my head is whether he's suited to playing in that kind of sitting midfielder role or whether he needs to be pushing further on because against Burnley when they played the high press against us, he kind of he isn't brilliant at going and receiving it from the back four. I hope Sean Maloney isn't hearing me say this, but Wigan's best chance of getting a result off Norwich on Saturday is by pushing high rather than sitting off because against against Hull, because they sat off, Sarah was... Sarah had the ability to turn on the ball and looking, looking towards the goal he was attacking and that's when... He um, is in the best position, whereas, yeah, against Burnley, it was a bit more difficult for him. So that's kind of a a tactical snippet there. I I don't want to reveal too much because, like I said, hopefully for your sake, Charlie, Mr Maloney is tuning in. But, yeah, hopefully he's, he's listening to this after Saturday's game. Yeah, I would hope that Sean Maloney is subscribed and following and has notifications <laughs> on for the, the Central Wigan podcast. But the, the final player I want to run through before a game prediction is Onel Hernandez, 30 years old from Cuba, left winger. I think he was out on loan at Birmingham last year. He's come back, but two goals and two assists in 28 games this season. Not phenomenal, but you know he's, he's, he's doing all right. Yeah, um, and he's another one like Dowell, who is out of contract in the summer and he's also like Dowell in that he's really improved or seemingly improved under David Wagner and we've seen it with Hernandez in the 2018-19 season when Norwich won the title he was a key player then he's only really been a bit part player since and to be honest I I have doubted whether he's quite up to it but in recent weeks he's, he's started to show signs of just how determined he is to stick around. He's a bit of a cult hero among Norwich fans as well because um, that 2018-19 team is held so highly. He really connects with the fans in that when he's been on the bench this season, he'll come for a warm-up and he's he's got a little canary tattoo on his left arm, I think it is, and he always oh, nice. rolls his sleeve up and points towards it. And 
yeah, he's re- he's really good with the fans, kind of outside of games, and will has has been known for like be really generous with his time and stuff like that. So I think there's a real sentiment sentimental element with Hernandez, but ultimately whether he gets a contract will be down to his football. But he's going the right way about it now if he wants to get one. I like that with the tattoo. That's a, that's fun. So ahead of the game on on Saturday, what was your game prediction with the recent form that Wagner's in? Obviously, if you've seen our recent form that we're in, we're unbeaten in the last three games. Not phenomenal, but we're starting to build. But this is obviously going to be a huge task. So how would you see this game going? Yeah, you're right. I've been impressed with Wigan's form under Maloney, like you said. I think... We might just edge it, but given your given your defensive numbers, I, I don't think we're going to be scoring the four goals that we did at Preston and Coventry. I think we're going to really have to work for this. If I was pushed for a specific score, I'd probably say a 2-1 Norwich win because defensively we're still not quite there. And yeah, I, I expect us to be pushed for it, but I'm feeling confident after Tuesday night. So I, I think we probably will just scrape it. That's That's what I reckon. Yeah, I'm hoping for a, a close game, but no, I'm looking forward to it. And obviously, thank you for coming on the podcast. But George, before you go, where can people find you if they want to find you on Twitter or anything that you've got going on? Yeah, so on Twitter, it's at GWilson1000. I also run a podcast of my own on the FA Cup called K Sarah Sarah. Um, we're on Twitter with that as well, at K Sarah Sarah pod. Um, so yeah, go and check that out if you want. The fifth round isn't too far away. So, and of course, there's an episode where we've reflected on Wigan's recent history in that competition. If people want to check that out too, brilliant. I will link everything in the description of the podcast and obviously on my Twitter as well. So, brilliant, George. Thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. So thank you again to George for coming onto the podcast. Really enjoyed the insight and obviously we have some more tactical analysis there because he dove into the top attacking performers like Gabriel Sara and just gives a little bit of insight into how they play. Obviously, if you didn't quite catch it there, Timu Puki is out for the game on Saturday. He will not be featuring because of his injury. But I just want to look through the team selection that we could go with to how we can try and beat this Norwich City side. I would make a couple of changes, to be honest, than the one we saw at Bristol City. In goal, I don't mind Ben Amos still being there. He's been really good for us since he came back from his rib injury. So for me, he takes that position. Our back line, Charlie Hughes has to be in there. So does Jack Watmore. And at the left centre-back, I wouldn't play Ryan Niambi there anymore. If Omar Rakik is fit and ready, we got to play him. If not, potentially even Stephen Corker I would put there. Or somebody else that we could do is Tom Pierce. In my overall formation, I would like him more as a left wing back with Ryan Nambe or Tendai Dariqua over on the right. But if we do need somebody to cover in that left centre-back position, I would much rather it be Tom Pierce than Ryan Nambe should Omar Rikik not be fit. In the middle of the park, Max Power and Christ TA, he are the overriding ones that probably are going to get there. But Tom Naylor could also be in with a shout of being able to disrupt the Norwich City attack. George was mentioning there that if we do try and play a bit higher on them, a bit more with pressure and try and disrupt them, that could be a really good way for us to win. And Sean Maloney has said that a couple of changes will be made depending on who we're playing. So Tom Naylor is one that we could look out for. That's also not forgetting that Miguel Aziz could probably come in and play, but we haven't seen him mentioned since he got suspended for the Blackburn game after holding a flare against Cardiff. He's not been named in any team sheets so far. I don't quite know where he is or if he's going to be involved or not, but he will be another option should he be able to. But as I said, on the wing, I would prefer Tom Pierce over James McLean. I think it's time for him to have a bit of a rest. And a couple of these arguments and fights that he's having in the game, I am getting a little bit tired of it. I know that it's good that it can be there to break up play and possibly stop 
like your likes of Hongbo or Sober Thomas, players who we've had to come up against that are very dangerous. He does he does do well to get in their heads and stop them, but I just think, you know, let Tom Pierce go there. Let him let him get some crosses in if we need to. Into the forward line, Dan Alsanani is unavailable for this game due to his parent club being Norwich City, so he can't play. In the attacking line, Will Keane and Callum Lang for me are the ones who should start. And up top, yes, Ashley Fletcher got his goal, but I would probably like us to go with Charlie White. Just, I think he's a bit better in the link-up play. But that said, I do think if we can play Talo Asgard a bit more advanced, maybe do Keane, Asgard and White, or Keane, Asgard and Lang, something like that. I do think that Atalo Asgard is in line for a very, very good game. Well, that's what I'm hoping anyway. So my overall match prediction, I have gone very optimistic. I've gone with a 3-1 Wigan Athletic win. That may seem way too optimistic for the position that we're in, but we are doing Operation Norwich again, like we did Operation Huddersfield. Try and get everybody down to the stadium at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Players should be arriving about 1.15. Show them support, get cheering, get singing. And then at 1.40, everybody into the supporters' lounge for a drink and some food. And then obviously for the 3 o'clock kickoff, try and get the noise back in the DW and try and spur this team on. So if you can make it, try and definitely get down there for it. The other games over the weekend, tonight aren't, which is a Friday. So tonight we have Cardiff City at home to Reading. I really hope that Reading can batter Cardiff and make it a bit easier for us. Tomorrow, the early kickoff is Millwall versus Sheffield United. Then there's obviously Wigan Athletic Norwich, Sunderland versus Bristol City, where I really hope that Sunderland can get a result over Bristol. Hull City versus Preston, Rotherham versus Coventry. Again, I hope that Coventry can do one over Rotherham. Blackburn versus Swansea, Middlesbrough versus QPR. To be honest, that should be really, really easy for Middlesbrough. QPR are fastly sinking, and maybe we can try and claw them into this relegation fight. Huddersfield versus Birmingham. I hope that that's probably a Birmingham win. I think that they're probably out of this relegation scrap at the moment, so... If there's any result I want there, it's a Birmingham win. Luton Town versus Burnley. Blackpool versus Stoke, which I hope is the most boring nil-nil of all time. And Watford versus West Brom. So that is everything from this podcast. And obviously, before the game and during the game, and also after the game, I will be tweeting on Twitter all thoughts and feelings, the lineup, and everything else that's going on with the day. So you can follow us on Twitter, which is at Central Wigan. You can also subscribe to the Substack, which is centralwigan.substack.com. It's a newsletter that goes straight to your email, which includes things like match previews, match reviews, these podcasts, loan reports, and any other big news that's coming from the club. But until then, I want to thank George for coming on the podcast again, and up the ticks. <laughs>